Amen. All right, well, we're there in Proverbs chapter number 23. And, of course, on Sunday nights, we've been going through this series called Undisciplined, and we're actually ending the series tonight. And uh, we've been going through these different uh, lessons and different thoughts on things that we often do when we live undisciplined lives. And we've been learning about how to live disciplined lives, but we've been looking at these specific things. If you remember, we started several weeks ago, and we began, uh, the very first sermon in this series was entitled Laziness. We talked about uh, the undisciplined life and how oftentimes uh, people that are undisciplined are lazy. Then we talked about tardiness. We talked about cleanliness. We talked about out-of-control words. And the last time we were together, uh, we talked about out-of-control emotions. Tonight, we are finishing uh, the series. And tonight, I'm preaching on the subject of gluttony. And uh, gluttony, of course, is uh, something that uh, is done in an undisciplined life. Gluttony is a sin that we often do not hear a lot about. You don't hear it preached a lot, and, uh, but the Bible definitely talks about it. The Bible talks about this issue, and we're going to look at it together. And What I want to do is I want to give you three thoughts tonight regarding the sin of gluttony and what the Bible teaches in regards uh, to gluttony. We're there in Proverbs 23. And if you're taking notes, uh, if you're taking notes tonight, I'd encourage you to maybe write some of these things down on the back of your course a week. There's a place to, for to write some of these things down. And like I said, I realize, you know, uh, most churches, you're you're never going to hear this preach. You're never going to hear anything like this preach. But we want to preach the whole counsel of God, Amen. and we want to uh, teach and preach everything the Bible teaches. And I'll be honest with you, I think gluttony is something that is is often misunderstood. So I want to begin tonight by answering the question or talking about what is gluttony? When we're talking about gluttony, what is gluttony? And just simply stated, gluttony is uh, overeating food. You're there in Proverbs 23. Look down at verse number 20. The Bible says this, be not among wine bibbers. Now the word wine bibber or someone who's a wine bibber is someone who is a habitual drinker of alcohol or a drunkard or in our modern society we might call it an alcoholic. That's what a wine bibber is. And I'm not preaching on drunkenness tonight, but I will say this. If you study if you study gluttony throughout the Bible, you'll find that it's often mentioned hand in hand with drunkenness. Uh, because it's the same idea of over-excess, too much. He says, be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. What does the word riotous mean? It means wild or uncontrolled. When you, whenever there's a riot, people are out of control. They're going crazy. They're wild. He says, riotous eaters of flesh. He said, you can get to the point where you're eating flesh in a riotous or a wild or uncontrolled way. Look at verse 21. For the drunkard, again, what is that? Overdrinking. You know, and I think all alcohol is, any alcohol is too much alcohol, according to the Bible. But a drunkard is someone that just takes it too far, just even too much. Uh, Overdrinking, notice, for the drunkard and the glutton. So we have overdrinking, overeating, shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. So when we're talking about Gluttony, what exactly are we talking about? We're talking about, of course, overeating food. And let me just give you uh, some like uh, dictionary definitions on gluttony. First of all, it's derived from the Latin glutir, meaning to gulp down or swallow. It means overindulgence and overconsumption of a food or drink, an inordinate desire to consume more than what is 
required. It is when we consume more than what we need. It is when we consume more than what we require. It is an overindulgence and overconsumption of food or drink. So when we talk about gluttony, uh, we're talking about uh, overeating food. Now, let me just say this. When we want to refer to or understand what is gluttony, it's overeating food, but it's not necessarily being fat. Now, of course, you know, gluttony can obviously lead to being fat or obese or all of those things, but oftentimes, you know, you tell somebody, oh, I'm going to preach on gluttony, and they think like, oh, you're going to preach about being fat, but, you know, let me let you in on a little secret. Somebody can be a glutton and not be fat. Because uh, gluttony it is, is an overindulgence of food. It's eating more than uh, you need. Now, let me just say this. There's nothing wrong with enjoying food. Uh, and, in fact, God created food uh, and God created us to be able to enjoy food. The problem is when we overeat or eat more than we need. Go to Proverbs 25. You're there in Proverbs 23. Just flip over to Proverbs 25. Often in the Bible, the Bible refers to fellowship and fellowshipping with others around food. The Bible talks about breaking bread and having fellowship together. So there's nothing wrong with food, obviously. There's nothing wrong with enjoying food. The problem is when we overindulge. We, we just take it too far. We eat way more uh, than we need. The problem is overeating the food, not just enjoying it. Proverbs 25, look at verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. Hast thou found honey? He says, look, you, you found honey. Notice, he doesn't say, don't eat it, it's not good. He says, eat so much as is sufficient for thee. He says, look, there's nothing wrong with having honey, nothing wrong with enjoying it, nothing wrong with eating it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying food. The problem is when we overeat. Notice, hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomited up. So you notice here that he says, look, God says, it's go ahead and eat just what is sufficient for thee. Eat what you need. Don't overeat, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit. I remember when I was in the Air Force, when we were in boot camp, you know, we, I was in boot camp for eight weeks, and for the first, you know, seven and a half weeks, they obviously, there was no sodas, no candy, no chips, none of that. You know, we were just uh, eating what they were feeding us, whatever. But once we got close to graduation, you know, uh, and the family started coming in for graduation, they started giving you days of leave and things like that. And one of the things that they allowed you to do there towards the end is that you could go and, you know, get a candy bar or go and get a snack or dessert or something, something you hadn't had for like seven and a half weeks. So I remember a lot of people just went out and just got a bunch of, you know, I remember writing to my wife, you know, because she's going to come uh, for the graduation. And I'm just like, bring me Kit Kats and, and, and you know, Hershey bars. And everybody's just talking about all the stuff they want to eat, you know, and all these things. But I remember that there was a lot of guys that were throwing up afterwards because it is a such thing that you can eat so much junk and eat so much sugar and eat so much garbage that this is exactly what happens. You know, eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomited up. So again, the the problem is not enjoying food. Enjoy food. God created food uh, for, it to, for us to eat it, for it to nourish our bodies, and for us to enjoy it. But when we're talking about gluttony, we're talking about overeating food, and we're not necessarily talking about being fat. Now, obviously, being a glutton can lead to uh, somebody being uh, fat or being obese. Go to Psalm 78, if you would. You're there in Proverbs. Just go backwards to the book of Psalms. Now, obviously, this is a touchy subject in our, in our nation today. 
And, you know, oftentimes when you talk about these things, people get their feelings hurt and all that. But the truth of the matter is that, first of all, it's my job to preach the whole counsel of God. And, you know, when it comes to, to our nation, the problem is that we, we live in a country where there is an obesity epidemic. We are told that 36.5% of U.S. adults are obese. We're told that 19.3% of children are obese. We're told that 21% of our annual medical spending in the U.S. is due to obesity-related illness. $14 billion of that is spent on childhood obesity. So obviously, this is something that affects a lot of people. This is something that involves a lot of people. But you know what? My, my thought is this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, is what the Bible says. The, the Bible, you know, I would say like the Apostle Paul, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The, the truth is this, that obviously God wants us to not be obese. He wants to take, to take care of our bodies, to not be overweight, to not be fat, all of those things. And gluttony is linked, obviously, and can cause somebody to become fat. Let me give you an example of that. Psalm 78, look at verse 17. Now, what is gluttony? Gluttony is overindulgence. What does it mean to indulge? Indulge means that you really just love something, enjoy something. Now look, we all love food, right? Everybody loves food. But you can take it to the point where it's like, that's your drug of choice. You know, it's just food, it's just the thing that just satisfies that you want. And in the Bible, we see that with the children of Israel. Now Psalm 78 is a psalm that is actually referring back to a story from uh, the wilderness time. Notice Psalm 78, but I want you to notice what's highlighted here. Look at verse 17. Psalm 78, 17, the Bible says this, and they sinned yet more against him. So the they that is referring to the children of Israel in the wilderness, and they're sinning against God, against him. How? By provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts. By asking meat. You see the word meat there? Now, in the Bible, in our King James Bible, the word meat means food. We often think of the word meat as, as what the Bible would call flesh. But in the Bible, meat is just referring to food. It says they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat. Notice these words. For their lust. Now, often when we, th- when we think of the word lust, we think of like a physical relationship between a, a man and a woman or something like that. But here he's talking about lusting after food. Why is that? Because the word lust simply means desire. And these people were desiring or wanting uh, uh, lusting after food. And if you remember the story in the, Old, in the Old Testament, you have the children of Israel and they're complaining to Moses because they've been eating manna. God has been sending manna down from heaven and they've been eating this manna. And if you remember, they keep talking about, we were remember the garlic and the onions and the leeks and the melons and they're talking about all the food that they had in Egypt, you know, forgetting about the fact that they were enslaved. You know, they were getting beaten and, 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 and killed and all those things. But this is what it's referring to. They, they tempted God because they were, they, they, they were having a desire uh, and a lust for meat by asking meat for their lust, verse 18. Now skip down to verse 29. Notice what he says in verse 29. Now, between verses 18 and 29, what we have is that God sends quail. Now, it doesn't say it here in Psalm 78, but if you look at the story in, uh, in, in the book of Numbers, what you find is that God sends quail, and he sends so much quail, they're just eating, you know, it's, it's all they can eat, quail. He's just having them eat at breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a month. Notice verse 29. So they did eat, because God gave them what they wanted. 
And look, we're talking about gluttony here, but, and we're going to connect this later in the sermon. But it's really about just having desires that you do not control. And let me explain something to you, and you young people need to listen to me. One of the worst things that could happen to you in your life is for God to give you exactly what you're desiring. For you, you just have this lust, I just want this, I just want, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, whether it's a relationship, whatever it may, you say, I really want this, I'm going to get this, I'm not going to let anything, you know, one of the worst things that could happen to you is that God lets you have that, whatever it is you're lusting after. And here God says, okay, you want quail? I'll give you quail. So they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. The word estranged means separated. Like you've heard of an estranged wife or an estranged husband. They were not estranged from their lust. God said, I'm not going to keep you from what you want. But notice, but while their meat was in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew, don't miss it, the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. I mean, here you have, according to Psalm 78, fat people complaining about food, desiring food, and how does God respond? He kills them. So the Bible definitely associates a desire for food with being obese, with being fat, with being overweight. And being overweight is definitely a negative thing in the Bible. God wants us to take care of our bodies, and this includes, of course, our weight. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know these verses, but let's look at them together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The Bible says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Bible says that your body does not belong to you. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we should glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Our bodies should bring glory to God. And, and this is not talking specifically about uh, obesity, but you can apply this to anything. God, this is why you shouldn't smoke. This is why you shouldn't drink alcohol. This is why you shouldn't do drugs. This is why you should not fornicate. Why? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, and God wants you to take care of it. But this also has to do with the fact that we should try to be healthy and not be obese and not be uh, 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 overweight in those areas. This You can apply that to this as well. I remember one time I heard somebody say, they were joking about the fact that they were kind of big, and they're like, man, if my body's a temple, I'm a megachurch, you know? And, and, and here's the thing, we need to obviously realize that, that God wants us to honor, notice, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Doesn't the Bible say, it says glorify God in your body, doesn't the, your, the Bible say whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, you say, well, that's referring to the fact that we should pray before we eat. Well, look, you should pray and thank God before you eat, but in everything we should glorify God, even when we eat, even when we drink. We should glorify God. So being a glutton can obviously lead to being obese, being fat, all of those things. And God's against it. God doesn't want us to live that life. But let me just say this. Being a glutton does not necessarily mean that you will be fat. Because, you know, sometimes you could be a thin person and still be a glutton and still be unhealthy. 
It's really easy, you know, when, when you're preaching a sermon like this to just focus in on people that are overweight or whatever. And obviously, some things are more obvious than others in regards to that. But let me tell you something. We all have sin. We all have things, areas in our lives we need to uh, work on. And you can sit there and say, oh, well, this sermon doesn't apply to me because I'm thin. But just because you're thin doesn't mean you're not a glutton. Because there, you, you ever heard of somebody being, you know, uh, skinny fat? I mean... There are people who, for whatever reason, they just got good genes or, you know, it hasn't caught up to them or whatever, but if you watch them eat, they're still overeating. They're still eating way more than they need, than their body requires. They're still giving in to the lust of just eating and eating, and just because, for whatever reason, they don't show it physically doesn't mean, look, the Bible doesn't say being a glutton means, being, means that you're fat. Now, obviously, gluttony can lead to being fat, but you cannot be fat and still be a glutton. Someone could be thin and still be a glutton or uh, unhealthy. You know, just because somebody's thin doesn't mean they're fit. Do you understand that? Being skinny and being fit are not the same thing. Thin people could still have diabetes. Thin people could still have high blood pressure. Thin people could still have high cholesterol. Thin people could still have fatty liver disease. Thin people could still have all sorts of unhealthy things in their body, and, uh, and they can still be gluttonous. So you need to understand, when we're talking about gluttony, don't, don't get this idea like, oh, he's talking about fat people. No, uh, the Bible's talking about people who eat too much, who, uh, have, who lust after food, who eat more food than their bodies need. That's what the Bible's referring to. And by the way, let me just say this. Uh, you're there in 1 Corinthians 6, right? Look down at verse 13, but before I say that, before I go there, let me just say this. Also, realize that somebody could be overweight for reasons that have nothing to do with being a glutton. You know, there, there's all sorts of reasons why. You know, so let's just, let's just take a time to remember the last 38 chapters of the book Job that we've been going through. And before you start making assumptions and accusations, realize that, you know, you don't know what's going on in somebody's life. You don't know why uh, they might be struggling with something. Or maybe you've never struggled with it, so you just don't realize how difficult it is for a lot of people uh, to try to keep their weight under control. You know, I, I think of my, my brother-in-law who doesn't come to our church and doesn't watch. This will be the one sermon he, like, listens to or something. But, you know, my, my brother-in-law, my, my wife's uh, younger brother, his, his whole life, you know, growing up, he was just a rail, just a, a thin guy, you know, just healthy, just you'd look at him and just a, a, a skinny, thin, tall guy. And, you know, he had some medical issues or whatever, and they put him on some prescription drugs that he needs to take or, you know, it's good for him to take. And as soon as he went on those prescription drugs, he just blew up. And you might look at him and say, like, look at that fat guy, you know, or whatever. But, you know, honestly, if he got off those prescription drugs, he'd just be back to being his normal self. So just be careful about being too judgmental and realizing that, you know, you don't know what people are dealing with and you don't know what people are struggling with. And just because you're thin doesn't mean you're not a glutton. So gluttony, what is it? It is overeating food, an overindulgence of food. A lust and desire for food is not necessarily being fat, although obviously being a glutton can lead to being obese, being overweight, and all those things. Number two, let's talk about what is wrong with gluttony. So we said, you know, what is gluttony? We defined it. But now let's talk about, well, what's wrong with it? Why does it matter? Why does the Bible even talk about it? 
Well, here's what's wrong with, me, with gluttony is that being out of control in your food appetites, it's very dangerous. You say, why? Because being out of control in your food appetites can lead to being out of control in other physical appetites. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, notice what the Bible says. Meats for the belly, right? Meats referring to food. Food is for the belly and belly for meats. Notice this, these words, but God shall destroy both it and them. You, you know, if people, people, you, somebody might say, well, you know, food is to eat it. And, and, and you know, my stomach likes it and, and my belly likes it and it's there to eat it, so I'm going to eat it. But you know what? To have this attitude that, well, if it's there, I'm just going to eat it. If it's there, I'm just going to enjoy it. If it's there, I'm not going to restrain myself. If it's there, I'm just going to have as much as uh, possible till I vomit it out. The problem with that is that that type of attitude towards the physical desire of food may lead to a similar attitude with other physical desires. To say, well, meat's for the belly and belly's for meat. Okay, but here's what God says. But God shall destroy both it and them. Notice what he says. Now the body is not for fornication. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Are we talking about food or are we talking about fornication? Here's the thing. We're talking about physical appetites. Fornication is a physical appetite. Eating is a physical appetite. Uh, uh, all sorts of sins are physical appetites. And here's what God is saying. Look, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So don't have this attitude like, well, if it feels good, do it. Who am I hurting? Isn't that what our society says? If you're not hurting anybody, just go ahead and sleep with that person. Just go ahead and shack up with that person. Just go ahead and eat what you want, drink what you want, smoke what you want, inject what you want. You're not hurting anybody. But wait a minute. You can't have this attitude that God gave me an appetite, a belly, and I'm just going to fill it with whatever I want. Because here's what God says. The Bible says that your body is not for fornication. And you, and you could swap that word fornication with any other sin that is gratifying to your flesh, and it would still apply. The body's not for fornication. The body's not for drunkenness. The body's not for gluttony. The body's not for drugs. The body's not for smoking. The body's not for, look, pornography. The body's not for, add whatever you want in there. And the truth, the, 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 the same truth rings true that your body belongs to God. Amen. It was created for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So you say, what's the problem with gluttony? The problem with gluttony is that you cannot be undisciplined in one area of your life and expect to be disciplined in every other area of your life. Amen. Discipline has to be applied to every area of your life. And a lack of discipline, you say, well, I'm just going to be undisciplined when it comes to food, but that will creep in to other areas. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. And this is what the Bible teaches. When you look at gluttony in the Bible, the interesting thing is that the the, the, the problem of gluttony is not necessarily put forth in the Bible like, this is a big problem. But what is put forth is that people, when they indulge in food, they often will indulge in other areas. Deuteronomy 21. Look at verse 18. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They say, what's wrong with gluttony? Well, out-of-control food appetites are dangerous, because they may lead to other out-of-control appetites. Deuteronomy 21, look at verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son. Notice, here's a young man who's stubborn and rebellious. Who wants to have a child like this? I mean, already, 
This doesn't sound good. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, notice, which will not obey, why? Because he's stubborn and rebellious, will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. So they're, they're chastising him, they are correcting him, they're uh, disciplining him, and he's not listening. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This is our son. Now notice how they describe the son. Notice the characteristics of this son. They said, This is our son. Stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. We already read that earlier in the passage. Here's a new descriptions. He's a glutton. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Notice how he's out of control in his authority structure. He's out of control in his position as a son. He's out of control in his life. He's stubborn and rebellious, but he's also out of control with his food. He's also out of control with alcohol. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Look at verse 21. And all men of a city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And people often will look, take this passage of Scripture and say, like, that's ridiculous. I mean, God is just put, you know, put him to death, you know, because he won't listen, and he's a glutton and a drunkard and all these things. Let me tell you something. First of all, we don't have any, uh, anything in the Bible ever recorded that this law was ever implemented or used. You know, I'm not saying it wasn't used, it's just the Bible never tells us. But I'll tell you this, if we lived in a society that upheld this law, you better believe that's a law that would often be threatened to children. You better obey or we're going to take you out to the elders of the city. And you say, well, you know, well, what's, why would God add this? You know, you kids, listen to me. You know why God would add this? Because God, it's a big deal to God when young punks are rude and stubborn and rebellious to their parents. So before you become a little teenager and start mouthing off at your mom, you better realize, or mouthing off at your dad, you better realize that this is how God feels about being stubborn and rebellious. He, he, he says it's so serious that he'd even, he'd, in a society that he controlled the laws, he would put that type of person to death. But here we have this young man, out of control, stubborn, rebellious, and we also find out he's a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because out-of-control food appetites may lead to other out-of-control appetites. Let me give you another example. Go to 1 Samuel chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. You're there in Deuteronomy. Go to Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We saw the, the stubborn and rebellious son. Let's look at the sons of Eli. Remember the sons of Eli, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12? What was the sin that is first highlighted for us from the sons of Eli. What is it? It's gluttony. It's a lust for food. Look at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, now, you know, start off right here, were the sons of Belial. These guys are not saved. They're, they're, they're reprobates. They're, they're, they're the sons of the devil. The word Belial is a reference to the devil. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. They were not saved. And the priest's custom, and by the way, there's, these were priests. You know, you better believe that there's a bunch of preachers out there today that are sons of Belial and are not saved. They, just because they have a, spiritual, a position of spiritual authority does not make them saved. They knew not the Lord, the Bible says. 
And the priest custom was, uh, uh, and the priest custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest servants came while the flesh was in seething. The word seething means boiling, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. Now. The Bible's telling us here, this is what they did. It was their custom. This is not exactly what the book of Leviticus says they should have been doing, but this was the custom of the people. When the people would bring a sacrifice, they would bring the flesh of that sacrifice, and they would begin to boil it. They would, it, it was seething, and then these young men would take a flesh hook. Notice, a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. Now, Today, the, the flesh hook of three teeth is often associated with the devil, right? You've seen the devil with that pitchfork. He has that three-tooth pitchfork. Well, that comes from this story because these guys were the sons of Belial. They were the sons of the devil. And notice, they took this flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. what they do? Look at verse 14. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself, so they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came hither. Now again, the Bible is just telling us here what they did. This is not what they were supposed to do, but the Bible is saying they had this custom, they had this ritual where somebody brought meat to, to, to sacrifice, and they would put it in a cauldron or put it in a pot, they'd begin to boil it, and the priest would come, and he would take this uh, uh, flesh hook of three, uh, 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 this flesh hook and, 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 uh, of three points, and they would kind of just stab the, the meat with it, and they would pull it out, and whatever they pulled out, the priest took for himself. Now again, many of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were to be divided. And if you study the book of Leviticus, and we've done verse-by-verse -verse studies and chapter-by-chapter -chapter studies through the book of Leviticus, you remember that there were certain sacrifices that it was a burnt sacrifice. The whole thing went to God. But then there were other sacrifices that were supposed to be divided. The first and the best portion went to God. And then the second portion was for the priests. And this is basically how the priest got paid. He got paid in the Old Testament because he would do these sacrifices. Because it's a lot of work to take an animal and kill it and chop it up and do all those things. So there was a certain portion that went to God, a certain portion that went to the priest, and that's how he fed himself, fed his family. And then uh, there was a third po portion that would go to the people or they would eat it together in fellowship or all those things. They were not supposed to take all that the flesh hook brought up. There was a certain portion that was meant for God, a specific part, like if you remember reading Leviticus, it'll say like the breast or the right shoulder belongs to God, and then a certain amount was belongs to them. So they're not doing it right to begin with, but they're doing something, you know, and it's like they just kind of take this flesh hook and they stab the meat and they pull it out, and whatever comes out, that becomes their uh, portion. That was just a, a, a custom that they had. Nobody had a problem with that. Look at verse 15. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to Rose for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee but raw. So these young men, they were, you know, getting this portion, right? Because they're priests, and they're getting a portion of the meat. That's how they get paid. That's how they eat. That's how they survive. They have this custom where the meat's being uh, 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 boiled, and it's being cooked, and they take a portion. But they, they don't want uh, food that's been already cooked and boiled. 
they, they, want to, they want to roast it themselves. Notice what they said. Look at verse 15. They're saying, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden. The word sodden means boiled flesh of thee, but raw. He says, the priest wants it raw. Before you cook it, he wants it raw because he wants to cook it up just the way he wants it. You say, well, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is that now the priest was taking his portion before God took his portion. No, no, um, they were taking their part before God took their part because they wanted raw meat. Why? Because they wanted to cook it up just how they wanted it. Why? Because they're lusting after food. They're saying, I want my, you know, medium rare so much that I'm going to take it before God even gets his portion because when God gets it, he cooks it or whatever. They're making decisions based off food. They want their food a certain way. Look at verse 16. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently. So if any man said to them, no, no, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to give what belongs to God first. We're going to burn the fat presently. And then take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would answer him, nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. I mean, people were saying, like, hey, you can have as much meat as you want. You can... You can Take as much as thy soul desireth. And by the way, look at the words, as thy soul desireth. People were uh, understanding that these, these guys were lusting after food. And the people, they're not even upset about that. They said, you can have as much as you want. Let's just do it the right way and make sure God gets his portion first. And these guys, their response is no, nay. Look at last part, verse 16. But thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. They're like, I will fight you for this meat. I will fight you for this food. Why? Now, look, it's not like they're starving and they're not getting fed and they're like, hey, this food belongs to us and I'm going to fight you for it. No, they just want it so they can prepare it a certain way, which, again, nobody would even care about that. The problem is they're trying to get it before God gets his portion. You say, why are they making these decisions? Because they're lusting after food, because they're gluttons. Notice the impact, verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Men did not even want to come and bring a sacrifice to God. Why? Because of how these guys were acting in regards to food. Now notice, these, these two young men, these sons of Belial, what was their sin? A sin of gluttony, a desire and a lust for flesh. They wanted, they, they just give it to me raw. I know that means that I'll have to take it before God, but give it to me raw because I want to cook it just the way I want it. That was their sin. You say, well, that's kind of silly. Yes, but here's the problem. Out-of-control food appetites are dangerous because they lead to other out-of-control appetites. Look at verse 22. Same chapter. 1 Samuel 2, verse 22. Now Eli was very old and heard that his sons did, uh, and, uh, and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. And how, notice what he said, what the Bible says, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. You say, oh, I thought these guys were just lusting after uh, food. Well, they were lusting after food, and then they started lusting after other things. They, they allow themselves to ha get out of control in the food area, and now they're fornicating. Eli heard how they lay with the women that assemble at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear that your evil dealings by all these people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. 
And look, you say, what's the big deal with gluttony? Here's the big deal with gluttony. People who lack self-discipline, who lack self-restraint, who lack self-control in overeating are likely to lack self-restraint in other areas as well. You can't be undisciplined in one area and say, well, I'm going to be very disciplined in all my other areas, and I'm going to be just undisciplined. Listen to me. Once you realize that somebody is undisciplined in any area, just realize they're probably undisciplined in lots of other areas. I mean, we were talking about being undisciplined, right? So you realize somebody's undisciplined with their cleanliness. Somebody's undisciplined in their tardiness. Somebody's undisciplined uh, with their words, with their emotions. Somebody's undisciplined. With, look, once, once somebody's undisciplined in one area, it will carry into other areas. That's the problem. That's the, the issue with gluttony is that God says, look, I want you to be self-restrained in every area. I want you to be self-controlled in every area. I don't want you to give yourself permission to overindulge in any area because when you do it in any area, it'll transfer over to other areas. And it may transfer over to every area. So you talk about what is gluttony. It is overeating food and overindulgence of food. It may lead to being obese, but not necessarily. You could be thin and still be a glutton. What is wrong with gluttony? What's wrong with it is that out-of-control food appetites are dangerous because they may lead to out-of-control other appetites. When you don't learn to restrain yourself with, in one area, you, you may not restrain yourself in other areas. So let's talk about real quickly tonight how to overcome gluttony. How do we overcome gluttony? Go, go, go back to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. And look, look, just mark it down. You find somebody and they can't control themselves fornication. You say, don't fornicate. Don't do it. It's not right. Don't do it. And they're like, I just want to do it anyway. Mark it down. They're not going to be unrestrained in other areas as well. They're going to be drunks. They're going to be drug addicts. They're going to be gluttons. They're going to be, there's something else in their lives. Why? Because it all goes hand in hand. So look, in your life and in my life, we must learn to be uh, self-restrained. And, and you say, well, why does it matter? Well, here's what Jesus said. He said, if any man shall follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Amen. You can't even be a follower of Jesus Christ till you learn to first deny yourself. Till you learn to first say to yourself, no, I'm not going to do it. So let's talk about how to overcome gluttony. What are some steps for overcoming gluttony? How can you uh, have victory in this area? Let me give you uh, three, three steps. Excuse me, four steps. I'm going to give you three steps and then a bonus. How can we overcome gluttony? Number one, well, let's read the verse. Proverbs 23. Are you there? We, we started this evening with it. Look at verse one. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler. The idea there is that you're sitting to eat with somebody you care about, right? Your boss. Uh, somebody that you're, you're care about, you care about how they think of you. How about Jesus, you know? When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Now, obviously, I believe that Solomon here is being a, a little, uh, is, is, is using a little bit of hyperbole. You know, I don't think he's actually telling you to, you know, slice your throat open. If you can't control yourself. But he's trying to make a point. Jesus made, had, had the same point when he said, you know, cut off your right hand or cut off your uh, eye or, you know, all those things. The, the point is this. You say, how do I control? How can I overcome gluttony? Well, first of all, consider 
what you eat and how much you eat. Consider, before you sit down and eat, consider what you eat and how much you eat. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. You're there in Proverbs 23. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Just one book over. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. You ought to consider what you eat. And you know, we, we have been raised, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, so please you know, understand what I'm about to tell you. But we've been raised, and it was right and proper, by our parents and grandparents who lived in a different era than the one we live in. And we've been raised to just, you know, it's good character to eat all your food and, and clean your plate and all that. And I'm not preaching against that, you know. And, and especially in your homes, your mom put some food on, the, on that plate. You know, you, you eat, eat your vegetables and, and, and eat everything you're supposed to eat. But let, let me just explain something to you. You know, the, 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 the Great Depression era that taught us, you know, clean your plate and eat all your food... They didn't live in, in, in the America of 2021 where you go to a restaurant and they literally bring you out a platter like this filled with food and say, this is your one serving. This is your serving for one individual. And it's this obscene amount of food and you're just like, Grandma said I gotta clean the plate, you know. You really need to consider how much food, you know, Grandma, grandma was never served a, a, a basket full of food for dinner. You know, just like this ginormous plate full of food. So when it comes to eating, you ought to consider what you're eating, and you ought to consider how much you're eating. You say, well, how much should I eat? You should eat till you're satisfied. You should eat till you're satisfied, not till you're stuffed. And you should learn to tell the difference. There's a difference between being satisfied and being stuffed. And you should eat till you're satisfied, not till you're stuffed. Here's all I'm saying. Not every meal needs to be like Thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving, and look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. Thanks, it's Thanksgiving, and you're like, I'm not going to eat breakfast, I'm not going to eat lunch, you know, or I'm just going to, uh, you know, eat uh, all the food and all that. Look, praise the Lord. Thank, be thankful, all of that. Every once in a while, doing stuff like that is not a big deal. But when every meal is just like, I'm just going to eat till I drop, that's a problem. Eat till you're satisfied, not till you're stuffed. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, look at verse 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 17, notice what the Bible says. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles and thy princes, notice what it says, eat in due season. Eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. You say, what does that mean? It, God says, look, you're, you're blessed when you can eat for strength. Look, we're supposed to eat for strength, for nourishment. You need food to, uh, uh, to be able to do what God has called you to do, to go to work, to raise your children, to do all those things. Look, you're blessed when you can eat for strength, but eat for strength, not for drunkenness. And again, drunkenness here is being referred to as in regards to food. Drunk, what is drunkenness with alcohol when your people are just drinking too much? They're over-drinking, just drinking more uh, than they should. And, and he's saying, look, when it comes to food, don't eat for drunkenness. Eat for strength. Eat till you're satisfied, not till you're stuffed. You're just vomiting over. He says, 
you're blessed. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy kings and thy son of, uh, sons of nobles and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. So eat till you're satisfied, not till you're stuffed. Number two, eat at appointed times. Notice what it says there again, verse 17. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is a son of nobles, and thy princes, notice these words, eat in due season. You notice, notice these people, they're not grazing all day. They're not just snacking all day. They eat in due season. You know, you have to decide when you're going to eat. I'm, if you're going to eat breakfast, I'm going to eat breakfast. You're going to eat lunch, have lunch. You're going to eat dinner, have, have dinner. But don't, you know, have this attitude where like, well, I'm just going to be eating all day grazing all day. Well, what are you, a cow? Grazing all day? You know, that's not something that you need. You need to just decide, when am I going to, I'm going to have this set time to eat, I'm going to have this set time to eat, I'm going to eat at these set times. Because why? Because blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. So you got to eat till you're satisfied, not till you're stuffed. You got to eat at due seasons, at appointed times. You should not just be eating all day long, snacking all day long. Number three, and you can, you know, take this or leave it, do what you want with it, you know. I'm just giving you some thoughts here. Don't eat late at night. Have a cutoff time. Remember, eat in due season. You know, just decide because, look, it's so easy. And look, honestly, I'll... Confessing your faults one to another. One of my biggest temptations is just, you know, after a hard day, a tough day of dealing with things or whatever, it's just to have some ice cream late at night or have a bowl of cereal late at night. And here's the thing. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that every once in a while. But you want to just be careful about just eating late at night all the time, you know, having that midnight snack all the time. It's not good for your health. You know, just you should eat in due season. Y'all decide, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have dinner, have your snack, have your dessert, and say, I'm going to stop eating after 7 or 8 or 9, whatever you decide. I'm not here to tell you, uh, uh, you know, specifically what to do. But I will say this, you should eat till you're satisfied. You should eat at specific times and not just be grazing all day. You should uh, not eat late, have a cutoff time. And then also this, go, go back to Proverbs 25. You ought to limit sweets. Desserts and sugary drinks. Proverbs 25. Look at verse 16. Has thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomited. Look, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you, you know, don't have sugar, don't have soda, don't have desserts. You know, I, I think the Bible says if you found honey, eat. I think it's fine to to have something sweet or to have a dessert, to have, uh, uh, you know, a soda or whatever you like. Look, my, one of, when it comes to food, one of my favorite things in the world is a glass bottled Coke. You know, I've got a, a whole office, you know, filled with them. And sometimes when the ministry gets hard, you know, I just uh, drown my sorrows in a, in, a, in a Coca-Cola made from Mexico or whatever. But, you know, but the, but the truth is this, though. I, so I'm not against it. I'm not, I'm not up here like some Nazi telling you, you know, don't have any sugar, don't have any fun. Look, 
enjoy food, enjoy desserts, enjoy those things, but just limit. Be li- you know, have a limit. Um, you know, have water with your meals. And, and obviously, you know, like at home, my wife cooks, obviously, she cooks great food, and I try to just have water at home. When she's making a meal, we have water. If, if we're doing something special every once in a while somewhere else, and, you know, somebody invites us to their house, and they have a Coke or whatever, of course, you know, we'll drink it, or I'll drink it, not will. My wife will never drink a Coke. But, you know, uh, what I'm saying is this. Have fun, eat, do all those things, but just be limited. When you're, when you're just having ice cream every night, you're having you know, uh, uh, sugary drinks every day, it can be a problem. So just, you know, limit sweets, limit desserts, limit sugary drinks. Just, you know, have water with your meals. You shouldn't be daily consuming just junk and sugar and sugary drinks. And look, when you do have a dessert, when you do have a soda, when you do have some ice cream, great. Just don't overdo it. Don't binge. Where, you know, just limit the amount of sweets and all those things. And look, and again, I'm not, I don't want to stand up here and tell you, I, I'm, not against, I'm not against it. I, you know, I think it's, it's fine every once in a while. And um, my wife and I go on a weekly date night, and I plan on those date nights to have a Coke. You know, and, 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 and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The point that I'm making is you just want to live a life of limits and boundaries where you're not just overdoing things and just going. And look, let me tell you something. Getting a Slurpee or getting a milkshake from a place called Starbucks, you know, getting a milkshake masqueraded as a coffee drink is, is still a sugary drink. And I'm not against it. I like Starbucks. Look, I have a vanilla latte every Sunday. You know, you say, why? Because preaching two times a, a, in a day is, is hard, you know, and sometimes I, but, but you know, you say, but what do you drink at home? Just black coffee in the morning, you know, and sometimes in the afternoon, maybe a, a coffee with, with milk and sugar. And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not here to tell you it's all bad or whatever. I'm just saying, just be limited. You know, if you're going to have a sugary coffee, great. But, you know, why do you have to get the big, ginormous, you know, the... Frappe, cappuccino, milkshake, add a little bit of coffee so I can justify it and just, you know, hook the IV directly into my bloodstream. You know, I'm not against, you know, but get the small. And look, and if you're super fit and you're, you're skinny and you're fit and you're in good shape and all that, then just do what you're doing. But if you're struggling with your weight, why not, you know, just go with the small? You walk up to McDonald's and you're like, supersize me. They're like, we don't do that anymore. You're like, I said supersize me. <laughs> it's like, look, maybe just get the small. You know, just they're like, sir, you're out of control. <laughs> so just limit. Limit the sweets. Limit the sugars. Limit. And I'm not, look, I'm not up here telling you don't, get, don't ever have sugar. That's, that's not realistic. That's unsustainable. But what you can say is I'm going to limit it every once in a while, once a week, whatever, you know, or if I have it, I'm going to not binge. I'm not going to just overdo it and just indulge. So number one, consider what you eat and how much, uh, how much you eat. Number two, limit the influences of unhealthy people. You know, be careful with, the, with food pushers. Proverbs 23, look at verse 20. 
Proverbs 23, verse 20, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Look, the Bible says, Be not among wine-bibbers uh, wine and among riotous eaters of flesh. And you just want to be careful. Look, when you get around people, you're, they're going to rub off on you, and you're going to rub off on them, and you want to just limit the influence, influence of unhealthy people. Um, you know, just don't allow people to influence you to live unhealthy lives. Here's a, just a, a little cutout from an article called, Obese Friends Could Make You Fat. The research uh, found that when a person becomes obese, the chances that a friend will become obese increases by 57%. Siblings of obese people have a 40% increased risk of obesity, and their spouse's risk increased by 37%. On average, having an obese friend made a person gain 17 pounds, which put many people over the body mass index BMI measure of obesity. So just be careful about allowing people to influence you. Just decide, you know, I'm going to have one coat, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, this is my one time a week or whatever, and stick to that. Um, Number three, go, go to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Number three, exercise regularly. Amen. Now, let me, just, let me just say this. If you're a guy and you've got some job where you're just, you know, sweating all day and, and you know, just doing manual labor and all, I'm not telling you that after just eight hours of just, you know, swinging a hammer or doing whatever you're doing that is just you know, physical labor that you need to go home and go on the treadmill. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, but, if, but if you have like a sedentary job, then, you know, you have a job where you're not burning a lot of calories, you're not getting a lot of exercise, then you, you may need to consider the fact that you need to just, you know, add exercising uh, to your regular schedule. Le Leviticus 16, look at verse 21. Leviticus 16, 21 Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus 16, 21. And look, I, I have a job where there's not a lot of manual labor, you know? And my primary job is to produce three sermons a week, is to, uh, you know, plan events and, and provide strategy for our church and what we're doing and whatever. And a lot of that happens in front of a computer. A lot of that happens sitting down. And I personally have to just make an effort of, you know, getting on that elliptical for 30 minutes every day uh, because I don't have a job where I'm just sweating away and, and doing those things. And here's all I'm saying is if you find yourself in that situation where you're not getting regular exercise, then you need to purpose to get regular exercise. Leviticus 16.21 Notice what it says. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. Notice what the Bible says here at the last part of verse 21. And shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. You know, God here is looking for a fit man that can do a spiritual work that can do a spiritual job. Here they were looking for this fit man, this man that was in good shape. Go, to, go back to Proverbs, if you would, Proverbs 24. And look, I'm not talking about that you need to go to the gym and just be staring at yourself in front of a mirror. Look, I don't, and you take this however you want, and I, I'm just going to say it and whatever. You, you take it however you want. I don't even think married men should be going to gyms. You know, just go, go work in your garage or do whatever 
you know, be careful about just going around where a bunch of women in spandex are doing a bunch of things. You know, I said married men. How about all men? Because single men shouldn't be around that either. You know, you can do push-ups uh, in, in, uh, in, in your house. And, like, and I'm not again, you find, whatever, somebody's going to send me an email about some gym where it's all a bunch of guys, and that's weird too. But <laughs> the point is exercise. Get exercise. You know, and, and regularly uh, uh, get some regular exercise in your life. Proverbs 24, look at verse 5. Proverbs 24, 5. Notice what the Bible says. A wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Notice the Bible says someone who's wise, they realize that, look, this is the only body I've got. Till the rapture, right? We talked about that this morning. Till this vile body is transformed into his glorious body, this is all I got. So I should take care of it. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. And look, you, you, and I'm not saying you need to be some bodybuilder. I'm not saying you've got a, all those things. But if you're a man, you need to be strong. Amen. All right? And look, if you're a young man and you're maybe a little thin or whatever, start doing some push-ups. Start doing, you know, do whatever you got to do. Because why? Because a wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. Notice Proverbs 31, verse 17. Here we have the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31, verse 17. She, talking about the virtuous woman, girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. And again, I'm not saying this is some bodybuilder woman either, but here we have a woman that's strong. She's fit. She's got the, uh, uh, her body is in shape. And we ought to, if you want to overcome gluttony, you ought to consider what you eat and how much you eat. You ought to limit the influences of unhealthy people and unhealthy society. You ought to exercise regularly. Here's a bonus point. 1 Samuel chapter 4. A bonus point. 1 Samuel chapter 4. You're there in uh, Proverbs. Just find the one and two books. They're all clustered together. 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles. 1 Samuel chapter 4. So how do we overcome gluttony? Consider what you eat and how much you eat. Limit the influences of, of unhealthy, unhealthy people and unhealthy society. Exercise regularly. Here's a bonus point for parents. Set a good example for your children. 1 Samuel chapter 4, look at verse 18. Remember, remember the sons of Eli? They were gluttonous young men and fornicators. And they died as a result. But notice what the Bible says about their father. 1 Samuel 4, 18. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he, referring to Eli, fell from off the seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck broke, and he died. For he was an old man, and God just makes sure to mention this, and heavy. And he had judged Israel 40 years. And look, I'm just saying we should, and obviously as people get older, they gain weight. We understand all that's normal and natural. But God mentions this for a reason. You know, it seems like Eli did not set a good example for his sons. Now, Eli was not a fornicator. Eli, he was, he was a man of God, and, and he was a good man. But the Bible tells us he was heavy. He set this example, and what do we see his kids doing? They're just, I want, this, desiring this certain type of flesh, and they want to cook in a certain way. But because they were out of control in that area, they became fornicators. Look, as parents, we should set good examples for our children. And look, it's not just weight. It's every area. You say, I want my kids to be good readers. Then they should see you reading. I want my kids to read the Bible. Then they should see you read the Bible. 
I want my kids to be a soul winner. Then they should see you soul winning. And if you want your kids to be healthy, then you need to take the lead. You need to set the example. And people often, they, they want to say, oh, well, you know, it just runs in my family. You know, being overweight just runs in my family. Obesity runs in my family. But here's the thing. Studies show that when obese couples adopt children, those children have extremely high rates and likelihood of becoming obese themselves. And it's not people that they're physically uh, related to, but they're raising them, they brought them into their culture, and that shows that this is by and large a thing of nurture, not nature. So, you know, just be careful with this idea. I remember I heard Pastor Anderson say this one time. He said, it's not that being overweight runs in your family, it's that no one runs in your family. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's what Pastor Anderson said, so you can send the email to him if you don't like it. The, the point is this. We need to set good examples for our children. We need to set examples of self-restraint for our children. Go to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. We're going to finish up right here. If you find the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and I'm not saying that you need to be some super fit individual, but you know what? Your kids should see that you care. That you're going out, taking up a walk, or doing a run, or riding a bicycle, or getting on the elliptical. They should see that you care about spiritual things. They should see that you care about your health. They should see that you care about um, education, all those things. Uh, set a good example for your children. Ezekiel 16, look at verse 49. I, I brought this verse up recently in another sermon, and I just thought it fit really well with this sermon as well. Ezekiel 16, 49. Notice the Bible says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Here, the prophet Ezekiel is going to tell us the sin, you know, problems with Sodom. Now, obviously, we know that Sodom had a bunch of Sodomites, and that's why God destroyed it. But there were certain characteristics of Sodom, and notice, I feel like they're very close to the characteristics of the, of the country you and I live in, the United States of America. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. What is it? Pride. You know what America's filled with? Pride. But notice, also, fullness of bread. They had a lot of food in Sodom. You know what America has? Fullness of bread. Let me tell you something. If you starve in the United States of America, you're not trying. I mean, there's literally food everywhere. There's food everywhere. There's food anywhere. You can get food from anywhere. We live in the most prosperous nation in the world. Sodom had pride. What does America have? Pride. Sodom had fullness of bread. Uh, what does America have? Fullness of bread. And, notice, abundance of idleness. You know what Sodom had? A bunch of idle people. You know what the United States of America has? A bunch of idle people. Abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughter. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. There was this abundance of idleness. And look, you and I have been blessed by God to live in the most prosperous nation in the world. You may not realize this, but we live like kings in this country in comparison to the rest of the world and in comparison to, to all of human history. And praise the Lord for it. God has given us opportunities. God has given us opportunities to do all sorts of things. But just realize that you live in a country that has fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. I mean... Young men are not just getting up at 6 in the morning and just working their hands to, to, to the bone, you know, trying to provide for their wives and provide for their children. That's not the country we live in. We live in a country where a bunch of 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds are playing video games all day. 
where the vast majority of, of men and women are spending just hours and hours on social media and Facebook and all sorts of things that is a bunch of idleness. And here's all I'm telling you. Realize that's the nation we live in. So don't allow yourself to be influenced. Just because you can eat a lot doesn't mean you should eat a lot. Just because there's fullness of bread, just because there's bread everywhere, just because there's food everywhere. And again, I'm not telling you not to enjoy your food. Enjoy your food. You know, take pictures of it or whatever you got to (laughs) do. Enjoy it. But don't indulge in it. And, And, you know, when you have this abundance of idleness, praise the Lord. God has blessed you. You've got a lot of time and energy. Well, do something productive with it. And, and make sure you're not just becoming this obese glutton because God says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and he wants you to care for your body and take care of your body. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the, uh, the Bible. And Lord, I realize that sermons like these can, can be touchy and offensive and all those things. And I, and I, and I pray that, that everyone would know the, the spirit uh, in which I preach the sermon like this, Lord. And, and I just think we all need it. I need it. And, uh, Lord, we, there's a temptation for all of us to just overindulge and overdo it and just do too much, and, and we get that and we understand that. And, Lord, help us just live lives of restraint and control. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.